22, 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22, and we're going to start off in verse 1. We are uh, continuing the message from last week. We only got a couple of uh, we only got a couple of points into it. It got six, I think, seven points total. But we only got into a point number two. We are continuing our study on the on the life of David, the soap opera of David's life, and and uh, there are there are a lot of uh, uh, principles we've been gleaning and that we can glean from in the life of David. And uh, just fascinating study. We've been going line by line, verse by verse for the most part. And uh, Lord willing, we should get through, oh, uh, well, I don't want to make any promises here. Uh, we're going to get at least to uh, verse number, at least to verse number eight, I'm hoping. But we're going to read verse number one. And uh, the title of the message in continuance from last week is The Fellowship of the Cave. The Fellowship of the Cave. And so David is at a point in his life where he had fled from uh, Saul. Saul was trying to kill him, and uh, there was jealousy, envy. They believed that Saul knew that David would, had been anointed to be king, and and uh, and such. And and so uh, there was there was great jealousy, and uh, he had fled. And then we find David in this cave now, fleeing uh, for his life. We found uh, we find some other characters with him, his family. Uh, there are about 400 other men. It turned and multiplied into 600 men uh, eventually. Um, and uh, let's pick up here in 1 Samuel 22, verse number 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Let's pray. Father, I need you this morning. God, I pray that we'd be a hungry people for your word. God, I pray that that be the desire every day. Lord, may we thirst for you. May we hunger for you. And uh, Lord, may you feed us here from your word. Holy Spirit, would you break down any barriers that are between us and you here this morning? And uh, maybe attention getters, perhaps, maybe uh, thoughts, Lord, on something else, maybe a trouble, maybe maybe even a blessing, God. But may we be solely focused upon you and uh, your word and how you desire to uh, speak to us. Maybe we'd be further along uh, than we were, as mentioned this morning, God, uh, than, we, uh, than we have been in the past and closer to you as a result of having met. May our worship be pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the week before last, two weeks ago now, we uh, started the study on David and some of the different scenarios and situations of his life. And he lived quite the uh, quite the life, um, quite the action action adventure uh, life there, and, and now is real. All the story that you read here, it was real. It wasn't some made up something that comes on every day during the middle of the day uh, that you uh, can watch at your house, maybe if you've got those uh, those TV stations. But um, <clears throat> but uh, he went through a lot, and and um, one of those was rejection. And uh, last week I said, nobody likes to be rejected. Uh, nobody wants rejection. Nobody welcomes rejection. And uh, one good principle we started off with last week was God never rejects us. God never rejects his people. 
If you've received him as Savior, you'll never be rejected by him. Uh, you'll always be welcome. Uh, and uh, the Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Um, and uh, so we can bank on that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says this. It says, we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. And uh, so, but David was at a time in his life where he'd, he'd been rejected by uh, King Saul and uh, part of his army, but I believe the Lord allowed that time to woo uh, the armies of Saul uh, eventually over to David, uh, eventually, I say. Uh, but uh, we pick up David here in this fellowship of the cave. At this time, we see David's family and a total of 400 men. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 13, it says that the number of David uh, reached 600 by that time, and uh, they fled uh, with him to the cave at Adullam, and it was, it was here uh, that a few of the Psalms of David were written, Psalm chapter 34, Psalm chapter 57, Psalm chapter 142. And uh, we started off last week with this first point, this first principle of this story as we learn. Look at verse number one and uh, verse number two. It says, And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Bedullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, I want you to notice verse number two in particular. And everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. Unto who? Unto David. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And so I find that interesting. I find that awesome. And point number one is this. I'm just going to go over it a little bit here, uh, briefly. Uh, number one is misery loves company. Misery loves company. And it goes both ways. Misery loves company in the fact that, yeah, how many of you, you've ever gotten in trouble and you're like, you had a good buddy that got in trouble with you and you're thankful that it wasn't just you? Anybody? <laughs> All right. And, uh, but uh, misery loves company in that aspect. But what I mean by it most specifically as a Christian is that compassion should be involved. We've all been through certain situations in our lives. We're all going to, we've all been through probably certain cave experiences in our life where, where, uh, we're maybe we're on the run. Maybe we are in distress. Maybe we've got a problem and, uh, we went through that. God brought us through that, and so we learn certain lessons about that cave experience. Well, we need to use that cave experience to help other people out that are going to go through that similar cave experience someday. The tragedy that, uh, that you went through, a heartbreak that you experienced, don't let it be for naught. God wants to use that. God wants to use you. And part of being a, a living sacrifice for God is a daily life of surrender. God, how do you want to use me today to help somebody else? God, how do you want to be glorified through my life today? Number one is misery loves company. I use the example about maybe somebody has lost a child before. And God wants to use you to compassionately help somebody else, maybe who's lost a child. We lost, we lost children in miscarriages, my wife has. And, and we've lost loved ones, a, a sister-in-law, lost a grandpa, lost a brother just recently, hung himself. I didn't know him very super well, but, but he's my brother nevertheless. And, and so I can relate and, 
And uh, man, I can point people to Jesus through negative experiences. And, uh, and God gives grace through the trials. We ought not sit soaking sour and say, woe is me because we're experiencing something and it's a great tragedy to us. No, we need to look to the Lord and ask Him how we can glorify Him through the situation. While we can help people and compassionately comfort them, our ultimate goal ought to be pointing them to the Lord. Yes, in salvation first and foremost, but then there's also comfort and victory uh, that uh, we can help point people to as well. Man, you, you got the, the victory over that addiction in your life. Hey, talk to somebody else, encourage them how they can get victory over that addiction. Hey, God, God helped you through uh, financial distress and he got you out of debt. He helped you to use some principles to get you out of debt. Maybe you need somebody needs to come to you. They need to know that you're out of debt and you can come and help them in that scenario, in that situation. The point is that misery loves company and God wants to help you help somebody else through that situation. That's certainly what happened uh, with David. We see that the distressed came to him. Uh, the discontented came to him. Those that were in debt came to him. And uh, there, was a, there was a conglomeration of people that came to him. And uh, the Bible says uh, he became a captain over them. He led them. He encouraged them. They sought him uh, through their negative situations. Second point that I want you to notice here. Uh, in the fellowship of this cave here. Number two, the purpose of the cave. The purpose of the cave. When I think of a, a cave experience, what I think of uh, kind of, and, and this may relate to y'all, you know, we, we all like uh, being on the top of the mountain. We all like the victory times in the Christian life. We're on top of the mountain, man. We conquered it, and uh, we're doing good, and, and we're just plugging along. But God also allows valleys in our lives. He allows us to go into uh, valley times, and, and uh, <clears throat> David wrote of those. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, there are a couple of reasons why God allows cave circumstances in our lives, those valley times, if you will, and uh, they, are, they are these, at least a couple of them. Number one, God uses the cave experiences in our lives for protection, for protection of us and our families, and then also for direction, for direction in life. And I want you to notice that here. Look at verse number three. Verse number three. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know that... Till uh, Notice the latter portion of the verse here. I got this underlined, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And uh, I believe that God brought that cave along for David uh, for his protection, yes, but then also for the protection of his family, and then also for direction. He says, I'm going to be here till I know what God will do for me. Maybe you are in that one of those cave experiences of your life, and uh, you are you are seeking the Lord. Maybe you're not seeking the Lord. But I want you to. If you're not, I want to tell you God may have you in that cave experience so that you will seek Him. 
He's brought you to a point where you feel a certain helplessness. You, you, you feel a certain, man, I, I'm at the end of my wits. I'm at the end of my rope here. I don't know what to do. I need you, God. My prayer has been, God, I, I pray that you don't, you don't have to do something uh, to shake up and get my attention. I want to be focused on the Lord all the time. I don't want him to have to bring a negative circumstance in my life so that he'll redirect me back to him. I want to stay focused on him, and I want, to, I want to follow him. I want his word to be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, and I want to be uh, listening for that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, there was another example of a great man in, uh, in the Bible that had a cave experience or a valley experience, if you will, and his name was Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 11, it says this, Elijah was fleeing for his life as well. And it was wondering if he's the only prophet left in the land, the only person that was doing good for the cause of the Lord. And he said this, uh, this is what happened as he was in this uh, dire straits here. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord and behold the, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, what? Still, small voice. God allows certain circumstances in our lives at times. We see that Elijah had an earthquake. Elijah had a great wind. Elijah had a great fire. And after the fire, after he'd gone through that, the still, small voice of God. And it was there that, it was there that uh, in this cave that David got the word of the Lord. He says, I'm going to stay here until I hear what the Lord would do for me, until the Lord would direct me to what he would have me to do next. I wonder this morning, is God trying to tell you something? <clears throat> when you're in that seemingly dark cave of life, the thing to do is not be reclusive. It's not to pull away from the things of God, but rather it's to look to Him. It's to get into His Word, maybe even the more so. Maybe switch up your, uh, your, your daily schedule. Get out of that devotional book. Get into the exact direct words of God and say, God, speak to me. I need you. I hunger for you. Would you give me direction in what you'd have me to do? And God will speak to you. God will give you He'll feed you from his word. <clears throat> we said that God doesn't come with a megaphone. He doesn't come blasting in your ear. This is what I want you to do. He doesn't come smacking you upside the head, uh, trying to get you to obey. No, it's a still, small voice that God talks to us by, his word, or his word, and, and he speaks to us in that. He, he wants us broken. He wants us humble. Use the illustration of a horse. And it's only after uh, a horse is a very strong beast. I told you about my friend Cowboy Riley and how he's broken horses. I've seen him uh, go through the process of breaking horses. He breeds quarter horses, and I'm sure he's been involved in other horses. But, but uh, horses, man, several hundred pound animals, some bigger, some smaller. Uh, but if that horse wanted to, man, who, who uh, I've... Clydesdales, and I'm the intimidation of standing next to a Clydesdale if that thing wasn't broken, and that thing could break me in a, in a heartbeat if it wanted to. But after that horse has been broken, 
after it's worn down and it surrenders its will, after it surrenders uh, to do what the master would have it do, then it can be used. Then it can be used. And God wants to use us. And you wait till that brokenness happens. You wait till that humility comes. And hopefully it does. So we see this fellowship of the cave. We see that misery loves company. We see the purpose of the cave for protection and direction. And I'm sure that there is more reasoning for caves at times. But then we see number three, and we pick up freshly here. We see the prophetic parenthesis. We see the prophetic parenthesis. And look at verse number five. Look at verse number five. God, God brings a prophet along here. And the prophet's name is Gad. And uh, God brings a prophet along in verse number five, and it says, And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. So David fled to the cave. David is protected in the cave. Uh, David hears a word from the Lord in the cave. Now uh, the prophet speaks to him, and he says, Abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed, and he came into the forest of Hareth. Now, one of, the, one of the most difficult things to do in life is to switch up the plans. Is to, uh, man, you know, we had a president that ran on the theme of change, right? And uh, people preached against that. Be not, be not, don't, don't be with those that are given to change and stuff and and but but the fact of the matter is God changes things up sometimes. God is a and he can do that. He can do that because he's sovereign, he can do that because he's all powerful, he can do that because he's my creator. And God has switched up, changed things many times, direction in in, in our lives, plenty of times. And and I want to be at that point of surrender, I want to be at that point of obedience. When God tells me to do something, I'm fully yielded to it, whether I understand it or not. And I think that's what happened in the life of David here. He got to this place in this cave. And yeah, I didn't think he thought that he's going to be in this cave forever. But he was sensitive to do what God wanted him to do. And he was there for a time. And then here comes God and he, he switches up the scenario here. And he uses the prophet to preach the word here. And he says, abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed, and he came into the forest of Hareth. The cave seemed to be a safe place, but now God sent David and his men into the woods, and uh, he sent him in there. And God is sovereign, and he's able to switch things up if he wants to. And when he does, our response should be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He switches it up with unsaved people. He switches it up. He switches things up so that people will get saved. He switches it up in life so that even uh, saved people will get out of their comfort zone and maybe do something that he wants them to do for his cause. I'm thankful that God switched things up in the life of Paul and uh, Silas in Acts chapter 16, verse uh, 6. Uh, through 10, the Bible tells us how that God interrupted the plans of uh, Paul and he sent him uh, uh, from Asia to Europe. And in that shift, 
the gospel was brought to the Western cultures. And as a result of that, uh, most of us that are saved, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a result of God switching up the life of Paul and sending him to a different place instead of Asia. The gospel was preached. The gospel was perpetuated. And so we're beneficiaries of receiving the gospel to this day. And God is sovereign. And our response ought to be, Lord, teach me what you want me to learn. How many have ever been uh, through a circumstance like that? I think of the peaches. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I've never asked them before. Did you think the Lord would have you in Africa forever? I don't know. I know a lot of the time the philosophy was that uh, maybe at least uh, five years, at least two, to three to five years and, and uh, make that type of a commitment there. And I know they were there for four years, three and uh, God switched things up. He allows circumstances. He allows cave experiences in our life to switch us up and to direct us otherwise. How many of an experience like that? You knew you were doing what you wanted, you were supposed to do, but then God, God turned it a little bit, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's okay to question, and it's okay to say, it's okay to question, but our, our question should be, okay, Lord, teach me what you want me to know, please, so that I can bring glory to you. And so I believe uh, David had one of those experiences through this uh, prophet here. He preached, and he told them what to do. Go to this uh, wilderness here. And uh, then next uh, in this uh, situation, the next situation we see in this life of David in his soap opera is uh, number four. We see the tortured king. We see a tortured king. Look at verse number six. 1 Samuel 22, when Saul heard that David was discovered and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having a spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. I believe there's a reason why it says that Saul had a spear in his hand. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, here's, a, here's a little detail, but I believe he probably had a weapon in his hand because he might have been scared for his life. He might have been uh, thinking that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I can trust these people here uh, that are assembled around me. And I think uh, there's further evidence of this as we continue reading. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Here now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? And make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me. And there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there's none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up, stood up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. And so the Bible says that Saul is in this place and he's standing under this tree there and all the people around him and he learns that, that uh, David was discovered and uh, that nobody had told him about it. And he learned that his son was discovered and that his son Jonathan, uh, I mean, David is discovered and that his son Jonathan was with him. And now he's thinking, he's holding his spear here. And then he questions his people, you Benjamites, why didn't you tell me about this? How come nobody told me? Is, uh, is, uh, is he going to give you fields and vineyards? Is he going to reward you? I'm your king. 
And so now Saul is at a point where in his life where he lives with a sword in his hand. In verse number six, yeah, he's at a point where he's feeling betrayed and, and uh, he's feeling uh, that people are disloyal to him. He doesn't have any loyalty from uh, those that were his closest companions and even his son, Jonathan. And Saul is at a desperate point in his life where he's trying to bribe and even buy love and loyalty. There's a time of desperation. We see that this king uh, was being tortured in his mind and in his heart because of his wicked actions. Folks, true love and loyalty can't be bought. Saul's to a point in his life where he's trying to pacify the other sharks in his life. He's almost being hopelessly tormented here. Thinking, man, I wonder who's I wonder who's gonna who's gonna do me under? Who's gonna who's gonna be the one that rises up against me? And I'm gonna keep this sword, this spear uh, here with me at all times. And Saul is wallowing in self-pity. He says in 1 Samuel 22, verse 8, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there's none of you that is sorry for me. There's none of you that showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. 1 Kings 21, verses 1 through 6. There's another king that kind of wallows in self-pity as well. There's another king that didn't get his way. Who knows who he is off the top of your head, buddy? Ahab. King named Ahab and... And he shows us the danger of a, of a man with power that's not living for the Lord, that's not seeking the Lord. And he's selfish and he wants everybody to give him what he wants. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he pouts and he throws a fit. Dr. R. Lee G., uh, R. G. Lee, sorry. Dr. R. G. Lee wrote about this in a commentary. He said regarding the circumstance of Ahab uh, in his uh, sermon, Payday Someday, he tells us of Ahab's attitude when he was deprived of Naboth's vineyard. If you know the story, uh, Ahab went to Naboth and he says, I want to buy your vineyard here and I'll give you this money. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll give you another place that you can do your vineyard here. And, and Naboth said, no, this is my family vineyard. This, is, this means something to me. This, this is something that I'll never sell. I'm not for sale. And uh, then... Uh, Ahab went back home and he's crying and Bible says his, his wife Jezebel comes in and sees him crying and, and on his bed uh, crying about he didn't get the thing that he wanted and uh, she conspired and ended up, uh, ended up finding a way to kill Naboth and took the vineyard, gave it to her husband Ahab there and so he got it uh, unlawfully but uh, he says this, uh, R.G. Lee says this, he says, Naboth's quick and firm and final courteous refusal took all the spokes from the wheels of Ahab's plan and desires. The stream of his desire ran against a barrier that turned it aside and changed it into a foiled and foaming whirlpool of sullen sulks. Dr. Lee went further into the description of Ahab swirling downward in his self-pity that it many years would describe Saul. What a ridiculous picture. A king acting like a spoiled child, impotent in, and in disappointment and ugly in petty rage. A king whining like a sick hound. A king pouting uh, like a spoiled and sullen child. He went to bed in the middle of the day and turned his face to the wall, his lips swollen with his mullish moping, 
his eyes full of cheap anger fire, his heart stubborn in its petty rebellion. We see that uh, this king was being tortured. This king uh, Saul was being tortured by, by his fleshly desires and by his desire to want to hold on to power and by his desire to want to uh, be proud. And uh, he reacted the same way Ahab did in this. Next part of the story here we see, look at verse number, uh, skip on down to verse number 11. Verse number 11, we see the witness of Ahimelech. We see the witness of Ahimelech, verse number, uh, I'm sorry, point number five. Verse number 11, say amen if you're there. All right, reading right along here. Then the king sent uh, to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here am I, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have you conspired against me? Uh, and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of him uh, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, uh, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thy house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto thy servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. And the king uh, said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And because they knew when he fled, and did not show it to me, but the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. And so we see uh, the witness of Ahimelech. Uh, Ahimelech was called to Saul, and uh, Saul started to question him. He says, how did you promote this David? Why did you give him the sword? Why did you help him out? Why did you give him bread? And Ahimelech said, I didn't know about this. I thought he was one of your men. He's a faithful man for you. And I knew nothing of his betrayal about you. Saul didn't believe him. Furthermore, of the, uh, the, 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 the fighting that was going on, the turmoil that was going on in the heart of Saul. And uh, after Ahimelech said, man, don't hold this to my charge. Uh, don't, uh, don't charge my family. Don't charge my people. Don't charge me. I didn't know anything of David being against you. And Saul commanded his guards to take and kill Ahimelech. But the Bible says uh, Saul's men would not do it. The king, uh, the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall on the priests of the Lord. And so this is possibly the singular event that turned the rest of Israel's heart, I think, uh, toward David. Ahimelech and uh, the priests didn't know that there was a spiff between David and Saul. And uh, Saul, out of weakness and cowardice, he calls for their death. Ahimelech is one of the most righteous and respected men in Israel, and uh, we see Saul's insane anger. It knows no limits of degradation, and uh, Saul tells them to kill him, and they refuse to do it. Can you imagine now uh, Saul's thinking, man, what am I going to do? My own men aren't listening to me. They won't do what I tell them. 
Ahimelech testifies to David's integrity. Ahimelech was unquestionably innocent of a so-called conspiracy. And uh, he says in verse 15, Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Did I ask the Lord on David's behalf? <clears throat> the soldiers, they refused to slay the priests of the Lord in verse 17. And then I want you to notice, notice the next account of the story here in verse number 18. We see the dirty deed of Doeg. The dirty deed of Doeg. Uh, I have a friend that calls people Doegs. That <laughs> just, I don't know, it just came to my attention there. <laughs> Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 18, the Bible says this, And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou, Doeg's not a good guy, by the way. It's not, a good, it's not a good name to be called. And the king said unto Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests, and slew on that day fourscore and five persons. Fourscore, 20, 40, 60, 80, five persons that did wear a linen ephod. He, he slew 85 men, uh, priests that wore a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he in the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, oxen and asses, and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. Doeg had a damaged conscience. Doeg uh, was, a, was a man that had gotten to the point that, that uh, wrong was, a, was right in his eyes. Doing wrong, doing wicked, uh, he had a seared conscience. And, and uh, he, was, he was dirty, he was depraved of, uh, of righteousness. He had a damaged conscience. And the Bible speaks of, of it in a first, uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It speaks of those given over to seducing spirits having their conscience seared with a hot iron. One of the things I'm careful to always want to do is to encourage our young people to keep tender spirits for God. Have a tender heart for the things of God. Every Christian ought to strive to have a tender heart for the things of God. That means keep short accounts with God. That means when at the, at the very least bit of, uh, of the Holy Spirit of God prompting you for a decision for something, uh, be responsive, be receptive to it. Because how does somebody's conscience become seared? When you reject the Spirit of God. When you reject the things that you know that you ought to be uh, do. When you reject the simple steps of obedience that you know you ought to do, you're you're headed down the path of a seared conscience. Uh, you may not turn into a dough egg. It may not come to that serious, but uh, slippery slope. Slippery slope of a seared conscience. And Doeg had a completely seared conscience, killed innocent people, 85 men of God. Uh, Doeg had been bought off by King Saul. And so Doeg, he's leaning on the riches that Saul had uh, given to him, and, and uh, Saul had literally bought him off, and he's working for now, wicked king. And, and uh, in David's psalm, it reflects in uh, Psalm 52, verse 7. It says, Lo, this is the man, talking about Doeg, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Talking about the actions of a Doeg. 
rejecting the things of God. This occasion of letting money be our master, and the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. People can get a little taste of money and they can change. Anybody know somebody like that? Oh, you all know broke people like I do too. <laughs> Just or you know people that maybe maybe uh, uh, the goodness didn't change them. Praise the Lord for that. And we ought to be careful. We ought to be careful that uh, we're not able to be bought. We're not able to be persuaded by uh, finances. We're not able to be persuaded from what we believe uh, because we got a, a special bonus or something of that nature. And people can get a little taste of money and their spirits can change. Their hearts can change. Money does stuff to people. And so the Bible doesn't say money is evil. The root of money is evil. It says the, for the love of money is the root of all evil. I believe Doeg was bought off by this King Saul here. And then lastly in our story here, I want you to notice, lastly but the longest point, number seven, we see the prescient promise of David. The prescient or prescient uh, promise of David. It means this, prescient means this, having or showing knowledge of events before they happen, kind of a prophetic uh, 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 prophecy, if you will, here. And in this story, um, as uh, Doeg killed off the 85 priests, there's one that fled. Who's the one that fled? Abiathar. We pick up here in Abiathar, the man that escaped Doeg, he ran and he told David. And David promises shelter uh, from him in First uh, Samuel chapter 22, verse 23. He says this, he says, Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Now, here's what I want you to see. I like types and, uh, types and metaphors and uh, pictures uh, through Scripture. I believe David is a, he's a type of Christ in a certain capacity. He, 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 uh, he did sin. Of course, Christ never sinned. We, we know that. But there were, there were times where he's a type of Christ. And in this situation here, he is a type, especially as he uses that phrase here. He says, abide, uh, thou, shalt abide thou shalt be in safeguard. Abide with me. Fear not, for he that seeketh thy life, seeketh, seeketh my life, seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. As we study the life of David, there will be pictures like this verse uh, throughout his life. I want you to look at verse number 23. It says, Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. And there are verses that reveal a type of our Lord. I reveal a type of Jesus, a type of God here. And Abiathar is to abide with David. David, and he'll be safe. I want to say this, we are to abide with Christ, and we'll be safe. And uh, this is especially true when we examine uh, scriptures in the New Testament that associate Christ with David, uh, different kind of parallels, if you will. Uh, look at Matthew 12, if you will, Matthew 12 and verse 23. Matthew 12, 23, I'm going to give you several verses here, actually. And maybe we can write them down or try to recall them here. Matthew 12, 23, Colossians 3, 3, 
John 15, 5, best way to do is to write these down and refer to them as we go. John 15, 5, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And so we see David, a type of Christ, and we see Christ is our refuge. Matthew 12, verse 23 says, And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 3. So we see the association there. It was Christ is the son of David. Colossians 3, verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, <clears throat> I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And so there needs to be a constant abiding in Christ in order to have protection, in order to do anything. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Christ Jesus our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Now, the incarnation of Christ is nothing short of miraculously amazing. And the Lord Jesus was God come to earth through the medium of the Virgin Mary, through the vessel of the Virgin Mary, not having an earthly father, but only a heavenly father. And so no sin was imputed unto Jesus. He's perfect. Uh, and uh, he came through Mary from the house of David, who after she was with child of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, in Matthew chapter 1, verse uh, 18, uh, she married Joseph, who is in the direct lineage of David's royal house, while Jesus addressed uh, the Pharisees, he quoted uh, from Psalm 110, verse 1. He says this, Wherefore, David says, uh, The Lord Jehovah said unto my Lord, Adonai, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And so here's the Lord's question that he brings to the Pharisees in verse number 41 of Luke chapter 20. He says, And he said unto them, How say ye uh, that Christ is David's son? David uh, himself said in the book of Psalms uh, that the Lord uh, said unto uh, my Lord, sit thou on thy right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? And so we see in the life of David, uh, purity and power at times, it's, it's contrasted with his compromise and with his failures, but we observe that Jesus, the son of David, is perfectly pure he never compromised in thought or deed. Only Jesus could say in uh, John chapter 8, verse 46, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Our sinless Savior is a type of David. David is a type of Christ. We need to abide in him. Our sinless Savior is the only one who can save us. And he's the only one worthy to be uh, able to, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
But like Abiathar, only in Christ we have the shelter. Only in Christ we have the protection. Only in Christ we have salvation. So we see a picture of David. We see the pictures of David. We see the stories of David. We see the prescient promise of David. and How David was a type and a picture of refuge. We see the life of David and the dirty deed of Doeg and how a seared conscience uh, took hold in his life. We see in the life of David the witness of Ahimelech. We see in the life of David a tortured king, that is King Saul, and how he had gotten so depraved as well that his conscience, I believe, had been seared. We see in the life of David the prophetic parenthesis and... uh, how God allows uh, difficult times in life uh, to, uh, to mold us and to shape us, but then He's got all authority and sovereignty to re- direct our steps as well. We see in the life of David the purposes of caves and, and valleys in our lives. He brings caves along in our lives to direct us and to protect us. And then we see in the life of David that misery loves company. Misery loves company. I want to close with this. Let's Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's focus on Him. Let's abide in Him. And we'll experience the victory that David experiences in his life as well. Let's bow. Father, I thank You for Your Scriptures, Lord. I thank You for the circumstances of David's life and how we can glean from them. God, I pray that we would learn to abide in You. God, I pray that we would learn to look to you as we are in these cave situations, as we are in the valleys of of life, Lord, that you allow. May we look to you, may we abide in you. And as David said in verse 23 of 1 Samuel 22, he says, Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Lord, we understand that with you we will be in safeguard. May we understand that. May we desire that. May we not just be clicking our tickets here this morning. God, may we be seeking you and desiring you in your work in our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, we're going to have our time of invitation. Piano will play here. I just want to ask you a few questions by way of invitation. May the Lord has spoken to your heart in some capacity. We mentioned surrender last week. It's two important, two important, two very important times in a Christian's life. The very first most important is the time of their salvation. Is the time of their salvation. You can't be a Christian until you've been saved. That is the beginning of Christianity, being saved. Second one is surrender. Since you've been a Christian, since you have trusted Christ as Savior, have you surrendered your will to God? Are you continually surrendering yourself to God on a daily basis? That is how we abide in Christ. Daily surrender. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, has God spoken to your heart in some capacity? Has he spoken your heart? Has it, is the still small voice of the Spirit of God speaking to your heart some capacity perhaps from the preaching of God's word this morning? 
maybe from a circumstance of life. Maybe you're in a time in life where you're in that cave, perhaps, and you're desiring to hear that still small voice of Holy Spirit to give you certain direction in an area. Maybe you're at a point where you need to fully surrender in obedience. And then we need to continually abide in Christ. Continually abide in Christ. Let's all stand this morning. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Pianos playing. Maybe you want to do business at an altar. Maybe you want to come and uh, take a knee and ask the Lord for something. Maybe to empower you. Maybe you want to pray for a, a lost person, a lost loved one to be saved. Maybe you want to pray for our Miss Kelly. Maybe you want to pray for